0: And welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Hmm. I believe that we can thrive in all areas of life at the same time. But where do we begin? Personally, financially, spiritually, relationally... And often because we don't know where to focus, we do nothing. At least that's the space I lived in for several years. I know what it feels like to constantly be spinning my wheels. And that's exactly why I created the Dream Life Daily Journal. After working through the Dream Life Action Planner, we need to do something every day so we actually take steps in the direction we desire. Throughout the years, I've developed success habits that have helped me to create a Dream 10 life in all areas by focusing on one area at a time and i teach you exactly what to do each and every day in the dream life daily journal you'll find a gratitude game every day to start the morning off right a space for prayer meditation journaling a space to write down your clear and intentional dream life goal with affirmations and visualizations connected to that goal You'll then have a spot to write down your dream life action to-do list so you can be intentionally taking action towards your goal every single day. I know that by completing the Dream Life Daily Journal every day for at least 30 days, you can create momentum. And when you do that, my friends, you can live your dream life too. Check out the dreamlifetoolkit.com or Amazon to get your copy of the Dream Life Daily Journal today. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. I'm really excited to learn from our next guest. She is wise beyond her years and has figured out ways to take yoganic philosophy and give it practical application for us in her latest book, Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat, which gives readers a modern, accessible, and personal look at these ancient philosophies and the wisdom found within. So big Dreamcast,
1: welcome to Kelly DiNardo. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yay! I'm excited to learn from you today. Yoga is something that I, I do. I do hot yoga. I know it's kind of new. I don't want to say new in terms of it 's not new it 's ancient, but it has kind of made its way into the United States culture and i 'm in Michigan. I feel like we get things last, so we just got our first hot yoga studio, and i 've been loving it, but I know you have been doing this for years so let 's start by <laughs> by
1: sharing a bit of your story and what got you into the practice of yoga to begin with. I started practicing yoga. I had a very on again off again practice, which I think is very common for people. And I I got much more serious and consistent with my practice when I was training for my first long distance run. And I started going to the mat for looser hamstrings and to counterbalance everything I was doing with those long runs. And I ended up staying on the mat for the entirety of the practice, which is a lot more than the physical asana that people know. And it was actually really instrumental in me deciding to make a big career change. At the time, I was working at USA Today as a journalist. And my yoga practice and that time on the mat really helped me decide to try freelancing. And so I ended up quitting my job, and freelancing. And I've, I've actually been freelancing since then. And because everything in this weird way kind of dovetailed again, when I left my job at USA Today, someone gave me great advice and said, find something to do every day that gets you out of the house. And so I was practicing yoga. I was studio hopping all over DC, which is where I. I lived at the time and live again now, but I was also teaching step and sculpting classes. This is totally dating myself. How long ago this was? <laughs> um, and my boss at the gym knew that I was te- that I was practicing yoga at other studios, and they were doing a teacher training. and He asked me if I wanted to do it to so that I could teach yoga there. And so I I actually got serious enough in my practice that I started teaching as well. And that was kind of how that all started. And all, yeah. Better. Well, yeah. and I think it's
0: easy to start it as a physical practice, you know, where yes. you are like, I'm just going to stretch and it's going to feel so good. Right. But then you find that your mind becomes clearer and that you kind of feel these shifts within. Tell me when you say time on the mat, what does yes. that mean
1: to you? Well, then it meant physical practice. I I was a physical practitioner for a long time. It was really just exercise. And I don't think I realized the subtle shifts that were happening that I was picking up some of more of the philosophy and some of the bigger teachings and other parts of the yoga practice. And it took a it took a long time for me to kind of wrap my brain around that and embrace that. And now now my yoga practice is very broad. Um, Yes, it is still physical. I own a yoga studio in DC. And I practice asana all the time. I love it. But it's also meditation, it's breath work. it's moral principles and how I choose to live my life and what I'm teaching my kid and how I'm teaching him. So yeah, I mean it right now, my yoga practice is really my life. It's how I'm trying to be a better person and live right in the world.
0: Well, and you said that the yoga time, the the time for just quieting your mind and and, yes. and connecting it with your physical body and your and your breath work has impacted you beyond that hour. You know, it seems like it's being woven into all the other parts of your life. What are some ways that it's helped you off the mat?
1: Yeah. Oh, I have some good specifics. So, <laughs> um, so a really simple thing is we talk in yoga about cultivating an abundant mindset, right? And one of the best ways to do that is to focus on gratitudes, right? And so I have a very strong gratitude practice now, and it can be as simple as at night before bed, we don't do quote unquote prayers, we talk about gratitude. So everyone, the three of us sit on my son's bed and we each talk about one thing we're grateful for. Our prayer before dinner is really just thank you for all the people who brought the food from the ground to our plate. Super simple, you know? And so practicing gratitudes in those ways is a really simple way that I am trying to live my yoga practice. It is one way that will really shift your mindset out of grumpiness when you start to focus on all the things you do have, right? Instead of the things that you might be worrying about or or lacking.
0: Yeah. You can't be grumpy or grouchy and have gratitude at the same time. It's really (laughs) hard. Yes. It does. It shifts your mind, but then it shifts your heart, you know, because instead of the, man, I wish this was different or this isn't working and I want this and I don't have it yet or, you know, all the things that we can really get caught up in your mindset shifts and then you start to see your heart shift and you kind of start to see the world differently. So it's not just that moment, but I see the gratitude that impacts the rest of your day because then you start noticing,
1: right? Oh my gosh, what a beautiful day it is. And you might've ignored that before. Right. And then another one, this is probably my very favorite. There's a concept in yoga, in the yoga sutras called cultivating the opposite. And it's this idea that we can't really change how our brain goes to negative things. It's actually how we're programmed and wired. So you can't just say, okay, I'm going to stop having negative thoughts, but you can crowd them out with more positive ones. And one of the very specific ways I do this is to think about when I have somebody challenging to deal with, I try and find one thing about them that is positive something that maybe they've brought to my life. And then when I have to deal with them, I think about that. (laughs) An example I like to give is my mom and I have a sometimes tough relationship, as I think a lot of mothers and daughters do. But my mom is the one who instilled in me a love of reading and books. And she is entirely the reason that I became a writer. And so whenever my mom's starting to tweak me a little bit, unknowingly or not, I think I'm a writer because of my mom. I'm a writer because of my mom. And I just say that over and over again in my head. And it kind of chases away some of the frustration, right? (laughs) So it's just a way for me to deal with lots of people, people I have to work with, or personal people. Those are two ways that I'm trying to actually live my practice off the mat.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think the the default way is to try to change them and be right. like, you are not acting appropriately. <laughs> you should do X, Y, right. and Z. When right. really, when you, when you change the story and you change your thought pattern, you're allowing them to be them and you to be you right. and you're separating yourself from their, their activity. You're not as emotionally invested. Right. Their stuff doesn't mean your stuff. And I feel like it makes
1: for a healthier relationship all around. Absolutely. And you know, the science is there to back that up. I mean, there's a very famous psychological experiment where if I say, for the next 30 seconds, don't think about a white bear, you're going to think about a white bear until you figure out how to replace that thought. And the best way to do that is to start thinking about, you know, a green cat or whatever it might be. And so it's the same concept too, right? You can focus on somebody's white bear-like tendencies or personalities, or you can focus on their green cat like tendencies. So you're right, it's just a shift in mindset, shift in the story. One of my
0: friends started, she told me when I was with her last that she started a journal and every night before she goes to bed or sometime throughout the day, she writes a gratitude about her husband specifically. And in a year, she plans to give it to him as a present. Of all of these things throughout the year, she noticed that she was grateful for and I mm-hmm. thought how like how transformational is that within a relationship and it's not him doing anything different it's her choosing right. to be the
1: best every day yeah that's so great good. I love that idea so good yeah so how
0: else do you take yoga off the mat and
1: implement it in your daily life well if you think about at least the way the yoga sutras define yoga it's simply stilling the fluctuations of the mind it's being in a state of total absorption. So we're working really hard in our family to be fully present in the moment that we're in. So putting our phones in a drawer when we come in the house so we can pay attention to each other without distraction. That's that's one way I'm living my yoga practice and turning off email and other things when I'm having a conversation with somebody so that I'm not distracted by those dings. So th- that's a big way. Sometimes it's as simple as going for a quiet walk outside without listening to a podcast or music. No offense, because you should always listen to podcasts. Um, <laughs> but just having that silence as an opportunity to reconnect with myself is a really important one. Yeah, I like to say prayer is when we talk to God and
0: meditation is when he speaks to us. Yes, and we have to be quiet for a minute yes. or longer. <laughs> and yes. to still our hearts and minds to actually be able
1: to to hear that presence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Very cool.
0: Any other ways that you take it off oh, the mat?
1: Yeah, I'm sure there are t- I mean there really are tons. I think about my practice a lot all the time actually. And when when I say that it's how I'm trying to live in the world, it's it is. So, one of the main tenets of yoga is a something called ahimsa, which means nonviolence or non harming. And so in our family, we're working on becoming a zero waste family and not having as much garbage that we put out into the world. It's an effort and a practice where you are 100% not there yet. But we're working on it. So yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that that all comes down to things I believe in because of my practice with yoga. That's awesome.
0: So you went from working in a new, at a newspaper to yes. owning a yoga studio, but now <laughs> you get to combine your loves by yes. writing books about it. So tell yes. us about, about your latest book, Living the Sutras. Now, one question I have is because I'm new to all of this myself, I don't know
1: what a sutra is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So The Yoga Sutras is an ancient text that was, it's about 2,000 years old. It was written by somebody we call Patanjali. We don't know very much about him or them. It could have been a group of people. And he or they didn't invent yoga. What they did was codify this long history of a practice. They did so in what is called the Yoga Sutras. And sutra means thread. Think about like sutra in in a hospital. And they are the yoga sutras are 196 aphorisms or threads or sutras that outline what yoga is, what gets in the way, and then details the eight limbed yogic system. So in this in the sutras, yoga is both a scientific system to get to the state of yoga, it's both the means and the end, which is kind of wild. (laughs) Okay. So threads of life, beliefs of wisdom. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I would call it of wisdom of guidelines for how to live in the world. And I think because of where yoga came from, I think people think that they sometimes need to convert to Hinduism or Buddhism to, to read this or practice this. It's a philosophical text that I think it can support any faith, truly. And it's not asking you to change your faith or your religion. And I think people would be surprised at some of the overlap in this philosophy and in this system with a lot of religions. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes it can be connected to a specific religion
1: when that isn't quite true. I mean, that's, that's where it came from. But I think now today, the the system is so much broader than that. So I, I understand the, the hesitancy, but I don't think that's the practice today. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Cool. So what can readers learn in your book? Oh, my gosh, so many things. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I think people will be surprised that Yoga is that the physical practice of yoga is such a small part of the bigger practice of yoga. So, as I said, there's 196 aphorisms. Less than two percent of them deal with physical postures. And all that the Yoga Sutras say is that your asana, your your physical pose, should be a comfortable and easy seat. So, you don't need to do Down Dog or Pigeon Pose if that is not your jam at all to practice to practice yoga. So they the yoga sutras outline this full eight limbed system. And it involves the yamas and the niyamas, which are essentially yoga's moral code. And there's five in each category. So people often compare them to the 10 commandments. And they're very similar to the 10 commandments. I mentioned Ahimsa is is non harming. There's the next one is such a, which is about honesty and truthfulness and non-stealing is the third one. So these are ethical principles for how to live in the world. And the first five deal with your relationship with others and the outside world. And then the second five are really about your relationship with yourself. And then the third limb is asana, the physical practice. And the fourth is pranayama or breath work. And then the remainders are different depths of concentration and meditation. So there were a couple of things that I really took from studying this. One is that according to the yoga sutras, we're going to work from the outside in, right? So I think a lot of times we focus on us and figuring ourselves out before we can be right with the world or doing something greater for the world. And what the yoga sutras are saying is, you need to have your relationship with others and the greater world in order before you can go deeper into yourself. And then that's the other piece is that each of these layers is is going deeper into yourself and who you are. So you start with your relationship with the world and yourself, and then you go into your physical body and then your breath and then into the mind. The other thing that I really took away from this, which was so reassuring, because I think I, like so many people struggle with meditation, is that the last few limbs really are talking about depths of meditation, right? So even 2000 years ago, the experts on this knew that some days we'd be distracted by our to do list or life or groceries, and then other days, we would fall right into a meditative state. And that gave me a whole lot of permission to stop feeling like my meditation practice had to be perfect. So those were like two huge takeaways for me as I started to really study this. And then the way that I like to simplify it really is that this for me all comes down to how to live in the world with ease and joy and full acknowledgement of our purpose in life, what our mission should be. And I talk about a lot, I talk about the five yogic practices of sustainable happiness, like, what can we do to lead a happier life? So one of them is creating a moral code. I mean, that's the first two limbs of yoga. And it's a foundational piece of any spiritual practice is that there is an ethical code. And I think, That's so important, whether you choose to follow the Ten Commandments or the Yamas and Niyamas or both, since they're so complementary, or something else yourself, that it's just really important to have a moral code, an ethical guideline to help you make decisions in the world and live well. I think that's the first one. The second one, these are not in order. (laughs) Let's see if I can remember them. The second one is to cultivate gratitude, as we already talked about. It's really hard to be upset and frustrated when you're focused on the abundance in your life. And there's a, a wonderful author, Diana Butler Bass, who wrote a book called Gratitude. And she talks about going beyond the health and wealth list of gratitude. So it doesn't start to feel like, Oh, yes, I, I'm so grateful for the things that we have in life, you know, but to expand what gratitude means for us. So that's something that I'm working on. But again, it's really hard to be discontent and grumpy when you're focused on the abundance in life. So that would be the second one is cultivating gratitude. The third one is just to cultivate contentment, right? So, and this is harder because there's, this is also part of gratitude, but cultivating contentment is this idea that science has kind of proven this. There's something called the hedonic treadmill, right? We think we're going to be happy when this happens, right? When I lose five pounds, when I get married, when I have a kid, when I get this job promotion, when I sign this contract, whatever the thing is. And what that does is it pushes happiness into the future and we're constantly chasing it rather than living in the present moment and then as soon as we do achieve that marker we often move the goalposts. so there are ways that science has shown that we can cultivate contentment and practicing gratitudes is one social relationships is a second one that's actually the number one predictor of happiness is our social relationships and the third is living with purpose and having a mission. So cultivating contentment is sort of like the third practice of sustainable happiness, but there's A, B, and C under that. (laughs) The fourth practice is to breathe. And I think a lot of us don't even think about our breath until there's something wrong with it, right? We're having allergy issues or bronchitis or whatever it is. But there's a very simple thing you can do. If your exhale is just a little bit longer than your inhale... That tells your whole body, it triggers your parasympathetic response. It tells your whole body to chill out. So paying more attention to our breath is part of it. And then when we find ourselves starting to spin, taking a moment to just count for an inhale of three and an exhale of six, doing that for just one minute or, or 10 breaths, will. it's amazing what that will do to just calm you down. And then the fifth practice of sustainable happiness is to meditate (laughs) and making that a consistent and regular practice. As you said, you can't hear what God, the universe, your internal divinity is telling you if you are not quiet enough to let that in. So those are the five practices.
0: Awesome. Awesome. You take the wise wisdom, the ancient wisdom (laughs) and boil it down to today's verbiage and experience.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And it really blew my mind how much of what is taught in the yoga sutras has since been proven by science. I mean, it's really amazing. So
0: tell me a few studies that you have. I, I mean, I've learned all about this too, the last few years. And it is, you, it kind of blows your mind when you go, this is not just a cool poster. right? <laughs> it right. means something. It means physically something. can change you. So tell me of your few of your, your favorite aha moments.
1: Yes. Well, okay. So we talked about the white bear and the green cat. That's a that's a big favorite. And we've talked about breathing and the parasympathetic nervous response, how important that is. There's a ton of research on gratitudes and social connections. Really, the energy that we put into our relationships and the and how we foster them really is the number one predictor of happiness. So focusing on community is so important. You know, in yoga, we talk about reaching this state called samadhi that is the ultimate goal when when our when we've if the definition of yoga is to cease the fluctuations of the mind that state when we reach it, it that total absorption state is called samadhi and the best way i know how to describe that is calling it the flow state. And so there's some really great research that has come out on that. And I I really recommend, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Doctor, oh my goodness, I can send it to you for the show notes. But there's a whole book on the flow state. And that research shows that the more time we spend in the flow state, the happier we are. And so part of what yoga is doing is trying to get us to live more of our lives in that date, right, so that it doesn't just happen when we're meditating or gardening or running or hiking in nature, but so that we can bring more of that flow state into our everyday life. So that's another one that is modern day science that is very, is backing up, improving what the yogis knew so many years ago. Which so I love. Cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, so cool. yeah. Send me the doctor's name when you get it, because I'm really interested. I know Brendan Bruchard talks a lot about the flow state as well, and it's just when you're like in the zone, you know, yes. things come easily. You're having fun. Time goes by fast. You don't even realize it. Like you're right. like living your dream
1: life, you know. Right. You're you're having fun and you're enjoying right. it, no matter what it is, right? And it and it's I it just came to me. It's Doctor Mihai. Cheek sent me high. I know we'll that. Spell is it, guys. It's, it's in the chat. Yes. <laughs> And he's written a very famous book on this. So if you go into Google and look at flow state, his work will come up. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So you've been able to take your loves of writing and your love of yoga and create the book. But you've also created businesses. And I want to talk about that because I'm somebody who leads with value, leads with like my purpose, and I trust that everything will come. I've had to learn that the hard way sometimes, but I was a clinical psychologist, business owner, all these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think it is like priceless when you can take your passion and make a living out of it, meaning you're actually making money doing what you love. Like, isn't that right? All of our goal is to know our passion, our purpose, and then be able to live in it consistently. So, tell me a bit about how you started your businesses, and, and I know you're running two businesses right now. You manage a staff of fifty. You have your yoga studio, and then you also are a freelance journalist. And so, tell me a little bit about the business side of this.
1: I always knew I wanted to be a writer and to be a journalist. And so, when I when I left USA Today to freelance, that first year was probably the biggest hustle and <laughs> the hardest year of my life. You know, you're you're starting a business. And that's how I treated freelancing was as a business. I, I, even though I was working from home, I set an alarm, I put on proper clothes, I wasn't working in my jams. I do now many, many, many years later, occasionally work in my jams or my yoga clothes. But when I was starting, I was trying to set that tone. I spent, I lived in D.C., And I spent a lot of time going up to New York and investing in that, that travel and that time to meet with different editors, because I recognized that I was investing in myself and that networking was really key. Like I said, that first year was just a lot of nose to the grindstone and kind of barely, you know, making my rent. And then it just, it got a little bit easier and every year, it got a little bit easier. And I had a little more confidence <laughs> with each year and, and more regular work. And I, I also figured out what I was willing to do and what I wasn't willing to do. And I learned to put real value on my work. So one of the issues for freelancers is your contract with each individual company. And I got very versed in what certain terms meant and what I was willing to to agree to or not. And so I think really knowing your value and knowing that that is often put into legal wording is super important, you know?
0: Absolutely. I think there's such a learning curve with anything new, you know, and we can take a step and know in our heart of hearts that this is what we're supposed to do, but that doesn't mean it's always super easy and there still is kind of a grind. I did a, a podcast, which was called Joy and the Daily Grind." because I'm like, how am I supposed to follow my joy? This is hard. Right, (laughs) (laughs) And it's part of the journey I learned. So the joy is like, you know, that connected, you you know what you want, but it's not always easy. So one question I have is, I think when people, they've got this spark of an idea, Mm -hmm. they're connected to it. They're like, this is what I'm going to do. But then they hit the hard stuff. Yes. How do you decide like, how do you know, all right, I'm going to push through and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep trying. And this is going to work because I trust this is where I'm supposed to be going versus the, this is a sign that I need to turn back. Right.
1: So I think there are a couple of ways to do that. And and one is, so Michelle Galen and Sean Aker, they're happiness experts, and they talk about their definition of happiness is the joy you feel in pursuit of your purpose. And there's nothing in there that says that that's going to be easy and carefree and not a lot of work. Right. And so I think one way to know if it's time to turn back or maybe not turn back, but just kind of adjust courses, even though it's hard, even though it's work, if you do not have joy in that then maybe think about that. And I'm not saying stop because there. It, in every job, it's called work for a reason. And so in every job, there's going to be bits of it that you're just not going to enjoy. But if those times or those opportunities or moments are greater than the moments where you are enjoying what you're doing, I think that's time to think about how to adjust. The other thing I would suggest is having a, an unofficial or official board of directors to bounce ideas off of. And to kind of talk through the struggles. And again, you're not going to listen to what everybody says all of the time. But my dad used to say, if one person calls you a donkey, and that's not the word he used, you ignore it. If a second person calls you a donkey, you consider it. And if a third person calls you a donkey, you buy the saddle. And so I always think about like, okay, am I hearing this from my internal voice? Am I hearing it from one member of my board of directors? Is my husband telling me this? How many times am I hearing this? And I think that's a really good way to kind of gauge if it's a stumbling block or not.
0: Absolutely. I love that. I think it's wise to take feedback, especially from people you trust, you know, yeah. people that you know, know and get you and have your best interest at heart. Right. And then the other thing to think about, guys, is you don't have to turn around. You can just pivot. Right. You know, so if you're like going to New York every other day is not serving me, maybe there's another way to network and get with people, you know, and I think then you can just pivot the the how a bit, but it doesn't mean give up on the dream.
1: Right. I think what you said right there was really important is know your why and then you can adjust your how, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't need to give up on the dream or the why of what you're doing, but maybe you need to adjust your, the how you're doing it part of it. And we probably will. Yes many times over and somebody (laughs) once asked me like what regrets did I have in, in these businesses and I said I have none and which is not to say that I have not made mistakes I have made plenty but I don't have regret any of them because I learned from them and they helped me pivot in some way and improve and grow and so I don't have any regrets about the mistakes I've made and so I think that's that's something else and and That is actually a really important yogic principle of self-study, right? And to take that time to reflect and look at what you're doing and how you're doing it. And is it sparking joy? Is it, yeah, I think taking that time is really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, my next question is about your employees, because you have a staff of about 50. And I have my husband, (laughs) we work together, and some contractors. And yes. I know it's an adventure to start bringing people onto your team. And the question is, is do they have the same vision as you do? How do you transfer that vision? How can they do it just, you know, better than you? Or maybe you feel like you can do it better. So right. how do you connect with? And, and uh, you know, there's a couple of things. Casting vision for the company. So they're all on the same mission. But then also individually connecting with them so they feel like they're living their purpose within yours too. Does that yes. make sense? How, no, how that totally makes, that?
1: Yeah. So just to be clear, I don't have a staff of 50 for my freelance journalist career. That is me, myself and I. It's <laughs> That's it. I mean, I have a co-author on this latest book, but generally all my writing is mine. But I do also own a yoga studio in DC called Past Hands. And I opened that when I was about 10, actually not about 10 years ago, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. And when I was deciding to open the studio, and then in the process of opening it, I wrote a very specific mission statement that had this sort of overarching principle, and then drilled down into three key areas. And we have an annual staff meeting. I don't believe in over meeting at all. So we just do one meeting a year. And that is the very first thing we go over. It is a living document and it has changed and expanded and we've edited and taken things out over the last 10 years. And that then sparks ideas for my staff. So after reviewing it one year, one of my teachers came to me and said, what do you think about starting a mentorship program? And said, yes, like, You do it. I will pay you to do it. Like, go and run with it. So, that's part of what comes out of the mission statement. So, we have one. We review it every year. Um, We talk about it a lot. We have it on our website. I'm actually toying with and trying to figure out how we can have it physically present in the studio more. I think that's really important. And I also have a personal mission statement. So, that keeps me guided and in all of these different realms. And then I, You know, I didn't live after I opened the studio. My husband and I ended up moving to Switzerland and then to Madison, Wisconsin. So I ran it from afar. And I'm now back in DC, very happily able to spend more time with my staff. But one of the things that I did when I was gone was when I was in town, I would come in town like every six to eight weeks when I was in Madison and four or five times a year when I was in Switzerland. And I would make sure that I had. Coffee with different staffers and ask them because most of my all of my people are teaching at multiple studios and they have other jobs. This is a part time gig for them and or it if it's if teaching yoga is the full time gig, I'm just like one place they do it at, so making sure to check in with them regularly about how's your class load like do you want more? Do you want less? How are you doing like where do you see your yogic career going? I think that's really important. And nice. and now it's just a lot easier to do that you get to have coffee with, with folks. And then I also do an annual review. I will preface that by saying I aim to do an annual review. Sometimes it's every 18 months with my folks so that we can kind of formalize that and I can make sure they understand. And, and the review, there's a, a form for it and it looks at their actual teaching and then their engagement in the studio. And that was intentional because that that engagement in the studio part is supports the broader mission. And one of the aspects of the mission is to foster community. And so are you a teacher that breezes in and out, teaches your class, and then we don't see you? Are you a teacher where like, I have to ask you 12 times for the same thing? If you are, you're probably not going to last very long. Like it's just not a good fit. And I can't imagine that, you know, they would be happy at past tense either. So that was very intentional to like look at how often folks are involved in the studio outside of just teaching their classes.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that leadership is such an interesting journey because you, it's your mission and your business and you're kind of inviting people into your space and saying, all right, guys, let's do this together. But yet they all have their own personal needs, desires, goals as well. And I love that you've kind of addressed both. You know, you've got the the broader purpose that they feel aligned with. So they're excited to be a part of it. But then you're asking questions and saying, how are you doing? And what's going on? And what's your next step? And how can we support you in that? And when people have ideas for growth within the studio or themselves, like the mentorship program, you are able to provide a path for that in that way. And you know, for those of us that are kind of solopreneurs that yeah. have to start, I don't wanna say have or should, but some of us, wait a little bit too long to actually get help. And it's a good, powerful thing to ask for help and then inspire someone else to go after it. And you can partner together in the same journey. So
1: absolutely. I That's, that's exactly it. Very yeah. cool.
0: So I'm excited because you took your book, Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat, and you're creating an e-course for it. Is that yes? Yeah. What- That is right. A
1: few months. So tell us what that will include. So basically, it'll help folks walk through this material in a really personal way. So it won't repeat what's in the book. The book will absolutely be there as a supplement. So every day for Monday through Friday, you'll get an email from me with a one-page worksheet, something to think about, and then a reflection. And then at the end of the week, I think I'm still figuring out what day we're going to, what day and time we're going to do it. But once a week, we'll get together for a group discussion and talk through the actual material and answer questions. And my goal with it is to help people really make it personal and accessible to their lives. Like, how does it fit in with their lives in terms of the work and uh, their work life and their careers? How does it fit in with their personal life, their spiritual life? You know, how can they really use this? philosophy and this wisdom to support and strengthen that. So
0: awesome. I'm excited yeah. to to see it and to uh, consume all of this wisdom myself and Kelly has been kind enough to offer us 25% off with the promo code dreamcast. So you guys all the links for that will be down below and you can reach out to her and and get that taken care of when you purchase her e-course. So two last questions for you yes. Kelly. The next one is, what is a a favorite book or that you've read in the past that has been really instrumental to you? And then
1: who are you learning from now? Oh, what's a book that's been instrumental to me in the past? Well, I have a giant stack of meditation books on my shelf. I really like Real Happiness by Sharon Salzberg. That's a, a good one that I go back to when I'm struggling in my meditation practice. I just also like her energy and, and permission to not be perfect in our meditation practice. She's great. And who am I learning from? I have, as I mentioned briefly, I have a co-author on this book, Amy Pierce Hayden, and she was actually my yoga instructor in Madison, which is how I met her. And she's definitely still my teacher. I am always learning from her and um, we're. I love working with her. She's she's great. We have a, we do a podcast together that came out of the book called Living It and we're putting together a card deck that's an outgrowth of the book too. And so talking with her and, and getting the material together for these projects is just a huge learning experience for me all the time. And I think for her too, I think we have very complementary skills and ideas. So yeah. Awesome. Well, it's fun to
0: have kind of a business buddy to do things with, Absolutely. And, work with and brainstorm with and Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. And so my last question is one thing besides yoga that you do every day that you couldn't live without. Brush my teeth. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um I lately this I think this changes a lot, but lately I have been making sure that when my husband and my son leave the house and to properly transition from home Kelly to work Kelly. So they leave, and I pour myself a cup of coffee and I listen to the news, or I sit with a book for a few minutes, and I take 10 minutes to wrap up the dishes and then just sit for myself before I go upstairs to my office and transition to work, Kelly. And that, that little bit of time really helps me transition. And what I've realized too is I need to do something on the flip side of that. You know, before I pick up my son or before they come home from work and school, like, what five or ten minute ritual can I do to kind of switch gears again? I, I I've got to figure something out. But that's what I'm doing every day right now. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. We learned a lot throughout this episode. You guys, her website, kellydenardo.com will be in the show notes below along with the promo code and all the links that you need to connect with her. And definitely check out her book, Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat," and then the e-course when it comes
1: out as well. So thank you so much, Kelly. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. This was really lovely.